this podcast is made possible by the generosity of listeners like you. Kindly consider a contribution through Patreon or PayPal. Links are in the details box to this episode. Patreon is a monthly subscription and you can cancel anytime. And PayPal is a one-time donation. Any amount is appreciated. I'm Rania Shatah and this is the Beirut Banyan. I've been a journalist with the Daily Star for the last three and a half years and based in Beirut. Things don't look great. I mean, you have an unprecedented economic uh, situation in the country. But, you know, in order for the system to change, which is what it seems like a majority of the people in Lebanon want, it's going to take time. And you're yeah. gonna, you have to win, you know, the small battles. You have to make small achievements and basically take it step by step. You work for a celebrated institution when it comes to reporting in Lebanon. And it goes without saying, the Daily Star, which, which has uh, survived many obstacles in, in not just the civil war, I mean, recent history. And that, I think, is a testament to the abilities of Lebanese reporters and journalists and the dedication that they have to covering what's been happening. And I include you in, in that in that much larger story. And I, I wanted to just ask you, and I know it's a bit of a sensitive subject, I just want to get it out of the way. Uh, we, we talked about discussing what's been happening in, in the last 10 days to the Daily Star. I'm not previewed to any particular information. Are, is there anything that you can share with what's been happening and maybe the future of, of the paper? Yeah, um, I mean, I personally, uh, my last day was um, last Friday mm-hmm. at the Daily Star. Um, and it wasn't for, and uh, you know, it wasn't because of the situation uh, at the newspaper. It's more of a situation, personal issues and uh, the situation in the country as a whole mm-hmm. um, that I made the, the decision. But in terms of the Daily Star, I mean, look, it's no secret um, the media sector in Lebanon as a whole is suffering. And obviously the Daily Star is is not on an island. So it's yeah. suffering um, like the other outlets, um, yeah. TVs, newspapers. Um, but, you know, on the on, on that side of things, uh, on that topic, there's been a number of people that have uh, either, you know, left, um, Basically, they've, they've resigned or they've left at the Daily Star. But you can ask, not not coming from me, you can ask anybody that has left before me that uh, they none of them were owed a penny from, from the paper. So despite the difficulties, they do exert all efforts to make sure that nobody's owed any any amount of money once they leave the, the newspaper. Um, that's that's the, you know, the financial side of the, of, of the paper. On the side of reporting, that's one thing that I thoroughly enjoyed throughout my time at the Star. Um, one is the level of professionalism, and I think it has to do a lot with, um, you know, the top down, with the, the editor in chief, uh, just the way he works and the way we're taught to work um, mm-hmm. in terms of being objective. And uh, we work more like a like a wires agency in terms of the style of reporting. Um, yes. And you know. That's that's the reporting side, the news. But in terms of you know just persevering and and, and plugging along uh, despite the difficulties, it's something that uh, obviously I mean I 
I truly valued while I was there. I'll, I'll always, you know, you know, treasure that aspect um, of the newsroom. I mean, people just really work from, uh, you know, because they're passionate, because they care. And at the end of the day, it's something that we, you know, as journalists, you're doing something that you that you love. So, um, you know, you just you 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 just keep pushing along. Um, I I just want to push one step further on this without, yeah. and I know I know I'm I'm trying to be careful because I don't I don't want to overstep or anything, but I I know that the the physical paper stopped printing rough, roughly two weeks ago, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. uh, give or take a, a few days. The online version is that still available or is that also being yeah 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 so okay. um when 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 uh, the decision was taken to um and I, and I stress here temporarily suspend the print edition yes uh, the online uh continued it's still continuing as is now obviously you know during my last two weeks there was no my last yeah two weeks there was no print so mm-hmm. the style i mean the, the stories still remain the same we were just, you know, publishing them. You know, we had a page one political rap pretty much every day on yeah. page one. So instead of waiting to publish that, um, which all the print stories would go up on the website at midnight anyway. Mm-hmm. So those that rap, for example, is being published now at around 10 p.m. local time. Okay. Um, and then all the other stories, I mean, we st- you know, we're still, are, we were still reporting them and then pushing them out. Um, and is that just is that, throughout throughout the day? Is that and for the foreseeable future? Is that more or less secure that the online version is is here to stay at least for the time being, or is that also yeah, I mean, sort of okay? So that's not know, as far, that's not as far being as phased. Know, yeah, yeah. Okay. As far as I know, the online is uh, not just the online. I mean, the online is definitely there to stay. But um, mm-hmm. from what I from what I heard, you know, in the sense that I got just based on the statement that was released um by the star when the decision was made to to suspend print was that it was temporary um and i'm i mean up until my last day i was confident that the print edition would return um and obviously i i hope um that it does you know i find it very strange when i'm in new york meeting absolute strangers when it comes to the lebanese story and that they mention a daily star piece and for me this is so so bizarre it's like how do you even know about the daily star but they know it and i think uh, that it's a it's i mean i know times have changed in terms of all all types of media are evolving when it comes to the digital age and i know that it's more it's more difficult for a traditional newspaper in an economic uh under under dire circumstances to to persevere but all that said I still hold some, uh, I hold not just nostalgia, it's that I know that that paper is, is critical to sharing the wider story. And not just in Lebanon, but and not just the diaspora, but an international audience. So I hope, yeah. I hope Daily Star makes its way through this current situation. Uh, and, yeah, yeah, just to yeah. add on that, um, you know, I obviously I travel back and forth a lot to the States. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I mean, I meet with people in, in Washington and other other cities, um, but mainly, you know, in Washington, whenever uh, I'm meeting with somebody, either diplomats or officials or whoever it may be, 
uh, it's funny. I mean, I do. I people will show me their phone. You know, these are officials, <laughs> high-ranking officials. They'll show me their phone, and you'll see how they're communicating between each other and sending links of stories on the Daily Star. It's yeah, exactly. And it's not like I mean, the other sources are there. They're in the story. You see, you see people sharing all types of information, but it's just yeah. always it's always sort of um, the Daily Star still stands out, and I think yeah. it's just because of its longevity and its reputation. And it's, uh, it, I think uh, it still is the standard uh, for, for English journalism and reporting. Yeah. Even, though, even though a lot of its talent are leaving, I, I have been lucky over the years, before I started this podcast, to, to befriend many journalists who started their careers at the Daily Star. Mm-hmm. And now they're, they, they've moved on to other things, but it's almost like it's the springboard for talent when it comes to analyzing, not just Lebanon, but the region. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. I think I, I completely agree. I mean, a lot of the the big names in the region, um, you you know, old, young, they've all at some point gone through the Daily Star. Yeah. And um, and I and like you said, I do think it's uh, I think it, I, I kind of look at it as a as a school. Um, yeah. <laughs> but to, to be completely honest, because you you know you're you're learning you're learning the trait there, and uh, and and all eyes are on you. People, I mean, obviously. The reporters um, are, uh, you know, poached a lot by bigger agencies, uh, yes. international agencies, um, because they know obviously the standard is is, is high there. Uh, yeah. And the way you know the way we were taught to to report and write is something that uh, that's highly respected. So yeah, I mean, here's to it. Uh, how the day started coming back uh, and be better than before. Hope so, and I and I I know that it's. Uh, it's only fair to put its problems within the larger Lebanese context that yeah. that everyone is going through variations of difficulty. And uh, I also know that it's fair to criticize it when necessary. And some yeah. of these voices are friendly voices that have been on the podcast that have that have immense respect for the paper itself, but also frustrations with their own personal situation within the paper. But that's yeah. I think uh, that speaks more to the Daily Star that which is what you said that there when you leave you still get everything you're owed which is a which is a good thing i think yeah, that's yeah. that's important um i i wanted to shift from the daily star and maybe get into the the wider story about reporting in a time of social media and before we started uh this recording you said something which i think uh, it speaks volumes even though it was a very casual remark uh, you said that you hadn't listened to any episode of the podcast, but you had seen the snippets on Instagram, and you maybe heard these one-minute uh, clips. And yeah. I, to me, this is—it's it's so important that you said that because you are a reporter. You said three and a half years, a career in the Daily Star, newspaper, journalism, mm-hmm. traditional reporting, but you only <laughs> went to—you went to Instagram to hear. What <laughs> uh, <laughs> discussions about all that's been happening, and that speaks volumes. That Instagram is very important, Twitter is very important, WhatsApp is very important. So I want your your perspective. The last, let's say the last. Not, let's not go back three and a half years. Let's just talk about really the um, the beginning of the protests. So late October and then today, these four months, four plus. You did you get your information through social media, or did you actually you, you did did you turn to 
maybe sources that are I, I don't want to say dying, but that they're they're the, the old way of communication or or just from your own from your own reporting. How did you access information? When an event as big as the uh, as big as the one as big as one like the protests happen, um, you got to go to all all the different types of sources and outlets you can go to because you got to fact check. You got to see um, you know one place might have something that you missed in another. Um, but yeah, I mean, to, to answer your question, I didn't have just one, you know, I wasn't just on Twitter or just on Instagram. Mm. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm more of an old school kind of guy. <laughs> um, so I was calling, you know, I, but the thing is I would see something if I wasn't out in the, you know, if I wasn't in the field, I'd see something on social media and then make a phone call and try to, you know, either find out where that thing is happening, go check for myself or try to get confirmation over the phone. Um, so you, you were relying on the old phone call method, literally making that call. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's just something I, I feel more comfortable doing yeah. than just relying because um, the, you know, on the flip side, the, as, as good as social media can be, I think, um, you know, you can have, you know, when the, Right before the protests happened, um, there was there were huge fires, wildfires throughout the country, and there were videos popping up from different countries, different years, different you know. So you didn't know if it was you know some of the videos that you were seeing if they were happening then um, or if they were f- basically fake videos. I believe some of them were even from from Greece that they were just yeah. sort of repeat photos. Yeah. Yeah, in Greece and then somewhere in Syria. And I mean, some people might, it might be an accident. Uh, it might be done on purpose. It just might be done out of a lack of um, being careful and, and fact checking. Right. But that's, you know, that's the, the downside of, of social media. Um, plus you get into, you know, I post something that I know will get likes or retweets or whatever you want to call it. So it's going to get me more popular. You know, I'll become more popular. People will start talking about me. I'm not talking about me personally. I'm just saying about sure. the mentality of some yeah. um, who, who who post these things and and go to social media immediately um, because they're seeking you know uh, attention. Which unfortunately in this day and age, a lot of the hires that are made in in um, journalism are made based on your visibility and and how how far your audience reaches. You know, but that's actually that was going to that that was my second point, which is I I did come across daily star pieces at least mm-hmm. um you know before the fi- before the paywall there is some mm-hmm. a- you can actually access a chunk of the article but not necessarily the entire uh, article right uh, but there are some articles that just are open and you can click on them through twitter mm-hmm. but i have to be i mean i'll be honest i rarely turned to traditional outlets i found myself quickly adapting to instagram and and you know WhatsApp groups and and that kind of uh, that new way of 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 spreading information. I mean, d- does this fit into not not the Daily Star in particular, but just the the struggles of older media? That is there an, is there a built-in reluctance to kind of be that visible, and which is what you're describing in a sense that there's almost. I mean, you're 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 doing the 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 I don't want to say the old way, but let's say the more uh 
the more I don't know if cautious. I'm old school. I'm old school. You can say it. I mean, it's a more conservative approach that that has worked for many years, which is and it's what you're doing. You're spending money on these phone calls, and you're trying to verify, uh, you know, your information the old the old way, which I think is probably the correct method. But then at the same time, you have these newer newer outlets, whether it's megaphone or even uh, Beirut Today or Fauda, and, and these kinds of. Uh, very very catchy and and also they have content but it's the content may not be the story itself it's more the uh the the quick instant gratification of keeping up at the moment and it's usually yeah. it's usually photography it's usually video it's it's that kind of uh you know on the scene live citizen journalism yeah i mean look um like you said, uh, you know the the. I think you mentioned maybe three other newer outlets that are coming, mm-hmm. making the making a name for themselves um, in in Lebanon, re- or have made a name for themselves recently. But mm-hmm. you, you know that you're you're looking you're kind of you got to look at the different types of audiences um, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. if you're you know coming from a let's say a, a diplomatic community or a, or, or government officials. Um, yeah, sure. They're going to go to the to the outlets that you mentioned, but their main source of information is that it's not going to be them. I mean, with all due respect to them, they're not right. going to go to right. one of those to find out um, a lot of the stuff that they want to find out. They obviously there may be things that they can find out there that they definitely cannot find at the you know somewhere like the Daily Star in terms of um, having someone on the ground uh, you know, taking live videos or or what have you. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just the diff- it's basically up to, based on your preference, what kind of news you want. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you're, you might not have a, a long feature on, you know, the, the three outlets you mentioned, I'm not targeting them by any means, but um, we're just talking about them. You won't find, uh, you know, a long feature on Syrian refugees and their struggles in Hafsel or, or elsewhere Absolutely. in Lebanon. Absolutely. Um, you know, yeah. on the other hand, they do highlight a lot of, uh, I, I think they highlight a lot of things that should be highlighted. They do good work, I mean, those outlets. But like I said, you're not going to, you don't have the variety of the things you have at traditional media outlets. Um, but in, in your, but just, I'm sorry to interrupt, but from your from your yeah. own side, do you sense that there's a is, a, is there a diminishing patience for content heavy uh, information? And um, I, mean, I mean, and I don't, yeah, I don't yeah. necessarily mean in just that. Uh, I mean, it, not, again, not the Daily Star in particular, but just mm-hmm. the average, the average um, attention span for an audience given the last four months. That that, uh, and I, I'm only going to give an example that links to the Daily Star, which is uh, I did an episode with uh, Timur Azhari, who mm-hmm. only recently left uh, the Daily Star, and mm-hmm. I, I, uh, I mentioned to him, and I, that. I discovered him through Twitter <laughs> mm-hmm. and I didn't know that he was at, I mean, his articles, I don't think I read one of them, but I read all of his, all of his tweets and right. I, you know, I, and I watched his video feeds and I, I kind of, when I was not in Martyr Square, I was watching his videos of Martyr Square live on Twitter. Mm-hmm. The fact that he was an employee of the Daily Star was, was important, but the content that he was producing I don't think I read one one piece, and that's coming from somebody who has enough patience to read an article, but I chose not to. Yeah, no, I, I mean, and I, obviously, 
um, all due all due respect to you. But I mean, there's a lot of people. The thing is, the Daily Star's audience, uh, obviously the biggest audience, is inside Lebanon, and mm. I think Taimur was one of the most. All of his articles were were you know some of the most read that we had. Mm-hmm. Um, and those articles that maybe you ha- didn't come across. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it's fair to say that, uh, you know, I don't think it's accurate to say that the articles um, weren't as heavily followed as, as Twitter. Um, for oh, that's, not, not that's just good to know. Okay, that's good to know. So th- the but, numbers did not necessarily decrease. Because no, of, no. Okay. Okay. No, no. But I mean, obviously, um, goes without saying, I mean, Twitter definitely helped. I, you know, I, I got, you know, I work with the Telegraph as well. And I think a lot of it had to do with my Twitter at the time, because you yeah, I would tweet out the story that I was writing. So people know, right. You know, they can see your work, um, you know, and then, you know, other things that I've, other jobs that I've gotten have been through because, you know, of visibility on Twitter. And I think the <laughs> same goes for Taimur and, and, and anybody else. But the fact that, you know, if Taimur, myself or anybody else um, didn't have the credibility we had because of the Daily Star and because of the articles we wrote for them, I don't think you would have had that big of a, uh, you know, people, you wouldn't have that credibility. You wouldn't have That's that interesting. Respect. So the, 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 um, the visibility has to do more with the traditional sort of, uh, the, that, that the Daily Star is at the end of the day, the most important part of that kind of story. That's I mean, a, for for me, for me, yeah. I mean, if I didn't write at the Daily Star and I just started, you know, tweeting and posting pictures, who's going to come look at my stuff? Uh, right. They'll be like, you know, who, who who the hell is that? Some, you know, some journalist. Where'd he come from? Um, <laughs> so why would I go to his Twitter? You know. Right. <laughs> um, so. Yeah. Okay, that's you know, and I I say it as somebody as sort of amateur to this world that no. it is. I mean, because I I do find myself kind of slipping a bit when it comes to the the um the care for reading given a moment that is very energetic and very uh it's euphoric and it's emotional and it's and it's fast and that it's almost like uh watching somebody's video or tweet or whatever a a photo with a caption it almost um it's quick delivery, but I it, it is important to note that the content is much more much more important, and patience is required when it comes to gauging uh, what is happening. So I think that yeah. you, you said it well. well. I mean, look, yeah, but I mean, I, I also, I mean, what you're saying is accurate because if you look in the states, I mean, Axios, the you know the kind of trend they've taken along is you know short, right to the point um, stories, mm-hmm. and I mm-hmm. mean they've been they've done well. But on the other hand, you know, like you're saying. You need patience. I, I personally don't have patience, so I like to read things. You know, if I have a, if somebody sends me a video, or if I see a video, you know, it's going slow for me. Um, I'm, you know, if there are subtitles and whatnot, I'm just saying. Um, oh, interesting. A story, I can I can skim through it and I can scroll up and down, back and forth. Uh-huh. I mean, that's so. I think again, it's just based on on your preference. And um, I guess that's that's the skill of an editor as well that you have to <laughs> quickly uh, assess. <laughs> yeah. And Joseph, I, as somebody who's still in Beirut, I, I left only a few weeks ago, and I, both of us, I think, witnessed the same story, which is Lebanon is going through a a very difficult time. R- remove the political demands, remove the uh, chance for for uh, regime change or reform. Just the economic situation is is very dire. 
I, I wanted to ask you, in, away, away from journalism, away from the Daily Star, in, in your own view, do you see that a, a, a collapse is inevitable? And what I mean by that is you hear well-intentioned advice, whether it's from experts in the field or even Lebanese at home and abroad that are dedicating their time trying to find a managed way out of this inevitable crash. But do you sense that the the worst has yet to come, that what we're witnessing is still just the beginning of the pain that we're going through? Or is there any is there any hope that we're going to be able to ride this out? Just just your own your own sense on the economic uh, situation. And, and I'm not going to sit here like half of the half of these you know folks on on social media are saying, oh, I called this a year, two years, three years ago. This was going to happen. <laughs> this was inevitable. I I mean I wrote a, just I don't want to sound like them, but I wrote a piece for the Middle East Institute. I think it was in, it was last September or August. It was a few weeks before this began. I think it was yeah a, yeah. yeah yeah yeah. And um, the, my I mean the reason I wrote that was based on a couple conversations I had with people in the banking sector at the finance ministry and other places, but also it had more to do with the political side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but look, is I mean, is the worst yet to come? In my opinion, I think um, uh, we're not, you know, Lebanon has not seen, has, it's, it is not, it hasn't collapsed completely. I mean, mm-hmm. um, and I say that for a number of reasons because, and, you, and, and people can argue, however, whatever the percentage of this is, but you still go to restaurants, you still go to cafes, you're still going to different places where it's, they're packed. Um, yes, yes. Has, is it unchanged? No, of course not. It's definitely changed. It's, Less you have restaurants closing, you have people unable to buy and spend like the way that the way they used to, and and that you know I don't I'm not saying that things haven't changed, but um, I do think that uh, there are still things that will happen that'll hurt more changes in terms of uh, reforms that are going to have to be made, mm-hmm. be it if there's a direct IMF intervention, um, you know, be it nothing changes that you know the officials decide to change nothing and. And things uh, go more south than they have uh, completely. So I think uh, a number of factors uh, lead me to believe that the worst is yet to come. Is it inevitable for there to be a complete collapse? I don't think there's a 100% chance that it's going to happen, but I think the chances are very high that there will be um, further deterioration of the situation. And is that a precondition in your mind, in your own subjective view? a precondition for genuine political change, whether it's the way Lebanese identify within their state, whether it's the way the state behaves and, and a potential new social pact. I mean, is, is an economic, is a proper economic collapse a, a necessity to move Lebanon in a better direction? Or, or are the two, in a sense, unrelated, that political demands are there, but the economic challenges are are there as well, and they don't always sort of directly correlate. No, I don't. I don't, I don't think you can say they're unrelated, but I also don't think it's a you know it's necessary for there to be an economic um, or an all-out collapse mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm, for mm-hmm. things to change completely. But I do think that politicians, a lot, a majority of them, I don't like to say all of them, but I mean I think a very high percentage of them are still in denial. Um, uh, and still don't realize, you know, um, the severity of the situation. 
And I yes. don't think that they, I think they still believe in the old method. Uh, here, the people shouldn't be old school like me, <laughs> but I think that they still believe in their old school methods that, you know, things will be just fine. We'll have a Gulf country or, you know, the West will come and bail us out. Things will be just fine. You know, Lebanon uh, isn't allowed to collapse. You know, there's an international cloud of stability or protection above Lebanon. People don't want another one. I mean, these are all calculations that officials and politicians in Lebanon have had, I guess rightfully so for a long time because it's been it's been accurate. But I think this time around things are um, are different uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, including, you know, the wide-scale protests and the amount of people in Lebanon that want change and don't want to live in the same situation. So in a sense, it's too soon to see whether political change is on the horizon or not. We have to actually go through the economic, uh, whether it's austerity or haircuts or whatever it is, these Eurobond experts suddenly that emerged out of nowhere, the ones you're talking about on, on Twitter, all these people that that it could be years from now before Lebanon sees actual change. Did, did I get that right? That it's very yeah. soon? Yeah, look, I think, like I said at the beginning of the episode, um, things aren't going to change easily. The, these these guys have been in power for 30 years, um, if not longer. They came to power, a lot of them, uh, at a time of war. I mean, a lot of them have blood on their hands. A lot of them are, um, you know, they're shrewd. Yes. Punning, um, you know, whatever uh, other descriptions or adjectives you want to use, um, and they're not going to move over easily. It's going to take time. So yeah. I do think, you know, that's why I said I think it'll take take a bit of time. I, I, I don't I can't tell you how long, but it's not going to be easy and it's not going to be quick. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so, yeah, I do think and, and I think Lebanon's entered. Did. Previously, when once shortly after the protest, and not because of the protest, I'm not one of those that says the situation in the country is where it is because of the protest. Sure, That's sure. Complete, complete nonsense. But um, it's you know the situation I think in Lebanon is going to go up and down for for some time. You know, uh, as an example, there the Lebanese pound it hit like 24. So 2400 around 2400 the exchange yeah. rate at the beginning uh, shortly after the protest yes and then it went back it would fluctuate and then it went back down and the government was formed it dropped a little bit to like it hovered around 2100 2200 mm -hmm. sometimes mm -hmm. 2000 which is still very high but it was lower than you know it went back you know it it, it uh i get i don't want to say yeah, the pressure eased, I guess. The demand eased a bit on the dollar, um, a little bit, not a lot. But then now, you know, this week, today, I think it went up in some places up to, again, up to 2,500. Yes. I think it's going to continue to increase this week. So I think Lebanon has entered this phase where you're going to have a week or a couple weeks or a month of, you know, you'll feel like you're getting out of this, out of this crisis. And then you'll have a couple of days, a couple of weeks, a couple of months where it's going completely down. And you'll feel like you're going completely down uh, to the to the collapse, and then it'll kind of ease off. So I think that uncertainty is gonna gonna remain. The uncertainty that Lebanon's lived in and experienced since since its independence, yeah. um, I think, <laughs> is just gonna be exacerbated now. Um, and I think that's what it's gonna be like for for the foreseeable future. You know, I I mean, I'm old enough to remember conversations from the end of the civil war. And mm -hmm. the, the turning point 
the late 80s, early 90s. And that kind of um, that kind of uncertainty and anxiety. And it, mm-hmm. it, and I remember the lira devaluing very quickly. Uh, you remember these notes that were printed so fast, whether it was the 500, the 1,000, and then suddenly we have the the 10,000. We skipped over the 5,000 just to keep up with inflation. And then mm-hmm. suddenly you have these these new notes, and people are getting used to a crazy figure like 3,000 lira to the dollar. And that's not that long. I mean, it's 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 thirty years ago, but it's that that's the Lebanon emerging from the civil war. and it it almost I mean, I know things are fundamentally different today that we're not coming out of a fifteen year war, that we have some infrastructure, even though it's mismanaged and, and even though a lot of a lot of what we expected to work after the civil war didn't work. But we're not coming out of a fifteen year uh, hundred fifty thousand people getting killed or, or invasions or that kind of magnitude. But the anxiety, forget the violence for a moment, the, the, the anxiety, I remember it, it almost seems like it's a, it's the same kind of, we don't know how much, we don't know how bad this will get. And, mm-hmm. and I, I only worry that this kind of longevity of economic pain and suffering, it not only causes permanent damage, but it, it prevents anyone in Lebanon from really, really trying again. That we've been given so many chances over time and our recent history and since really, you said it even since independence, to make this country work somehow. That I, I, I fear that this might be the last shot. That it's just, it, it becomes too difficult to put this country back together in a way that works. Now you you've been dating yourself, which <laughs> since we started, you're calling yourself old school, and you're going the you know the old ways. How how old are you? <laughs> I shouldn't tell you because you're gonna laugh. You're probably but, in your twenties, uh, right? I'm twenty nine. I'll be thirty sh- soon. Okay, I'm gonna keep this in the episode. You're not old. <laughs> you're young. You're born in the nineties. You're totally yeah. fine. Okay. Yeah. But but do you? I mean, a decade apart in age. Do you have that kind of, whether it's pessimism or, or just sort of uh, that that you see that this might actually be the final chance we have to move on from the civil war, or are you um, perhaps more hopeful that if we don't get it right this time, we will have another chance to get it right later? Yeah. No. Look, I don't want I don't want to sound, and I don't think I'm an idealist. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, from, from my perspective, a realistic point of view is you can't compare. I don't think you can compare any any decade to another, especially in Lebanon, for mm. a number of reasons. Um, obviously, the civil war is the, the major one. But, you know, the people that you saw in the streets uh, are the people that you, and the people that you will see in the streets are are our generation. Um, I mean, you OK, you, you you're saying you remember the latter, the, the end of the civil war a yes yeah i mean and i think it's safe to say you don't have blood on your hands you didn't kill anybody you didn't kidnap anybody right. um i don't think you were i could be wrong but um a, a, you know you weren't old enough to remember um during the civil war uh you know your family member being uh, kidnapped or slaughtered or you know in the civil war Right. Um, so, 
you know, it's a bit different for us in terms of this generation, I think, in terms of thinking differently, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. being a little bit more optimistic. You know, you have, uh, if you speak to, you know, I'll speak to older people here in Lebanon that lived in the war, and they'll tell you, oh, this, this country is never going to change. This is how it is. Um, but I think you have people for the first time that are not blindly following like the sectarian system of the country that don't care if there's equal representation between Muslims and Christians in the country in different posts. I think they just want and care about somebody being competent and capable of doing a decent job. And um, so I, I, you know, that's for me, that's, that's one glimpse of hope is that there are people that have started to think about that. But in terms of it being the last chance, uh, I, I wouldn't agree because I think in order for it to really change, you got to start. It's it's a grassroots project, and mm. you have to start from the you know the the kids that are in elementary schools now, teaching them not to basic things, not to litter, um, you know, when you not to throw stuff out the window when, when they're driving, where you still have people doing it now, teaching teaching them basic things uh, of, of recycling. I mean, these are small things that you have to instill in a society for for it to be, uh, in my opinion, a properly functioning one, um, having respect for one another, yada, yada, just basic, simple things yes. that, you know, even people our generation might not have uh, completely. And so I think you still have another generation that uh, needs to be taught, trained, uh, whatever you want to call it, and, and to come, you know, to take the reins of the, of the country later on. But um some people you know might say oh lebanon's not going to last until then uh, that's and this is all hypothetical so it remains to be seen but all in all i think i, I am optimistic about the the long-term future of, of the country but in the short term and when i say short term i think it's you know three to five years i don't see it being uh, the the lebanon people aspire most aspire for it to be well then i in, in a way you're kind of that bridge because you're you're just old enough to have that kind of uh, fear of what the war was like, even though you didn't necessarily live in it, but you have your parents perhaps reminding you of how bad things were. But you're also young enough to have that kind of hope that the next generation, whether it's yours or the one right behind yours, may have the tools at some point to really make this country work. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a part of also, the culture in Lebanon, there was always, you know, no, the older, you have to, res- and yeah, you have to, res- you should respect your elders, but it was always like, no, they know what they're doing. Let them, you know, control or run, you know, the, the country. And obviously, they weren't able to do it. Um, they're, they're, yes. They share large. So, you know, you have more and more people becoming educated, more and more people graduating, more and more people not able to find jobs. So, it's only a matter of time before you have, um, you know, the, something like the protests happen in, in a country like Lebanon. I really appreciate your your perspective on what's happening. And I really hope, even though you've left the Daily Star a few days ago, I really hope that paper manages its way forward. And I look forward to engaging your pieces, whether it's in the Telegraph or, or other outlets down the road. And I'll, I'll link up your article at the Middle East Institute and your Twitter feed and your uh, your general bio. And thank you. I really appreciate your time. Thank you, and keep up the good work. Thank you.
Thanks for listening. And a friendly reminder to help support this podcast by contributing through Patreon or PayPal. All links are in the details box below. Until next time, I'm Rani Shatah, and this is the Beirut Banyan. <laughs>